Welcome to this discussion on how to inspire creativity within your students. Um, today we'll be considering how educators can inspire a creative spark within their students through creative writing. We'll also discuss strategies that work alongside the curriculum to aid and inspire the teaching of creative writing, how instilling this creative spark can raise attainment across all subjects for students, and what the future of teaching English language and literature might look like in an international school setting. Um, so yeah, really, really delighted to be joined by my guest today, um, three of which are currently based in international schools in South America. Um, so it's great to have you all guys on, on the call. Um, so if we could maybe do some quick introductions, that would be fantastic to start. Um, Jamie, do you, want to, do you want to kick off with a quick introduction of yourself? Hi, uh, good morning, everyone. And uh, hello to everyone watching in the future. Um, I'm Jamie, Jamie Walker. Um, I'm currently the head of English and the TOK coordinator at an international school in Sao Paulo, Brazil. I've been here for seven years now. Um, and prior to that, I worked uh, for a while in Lusaka, in Zambia. Uh, my background, my um, development, my training was in colleges in the United Kingdom, so working in FE. Um, and yeah, I'm really, really delighted to be here today. Uh, I think that one of my real passions as an educator is kind of helping people to be at their best, whether that's colleagues, whether that's students, um, and looking at how 21st century curriculum helped to allow students and teachers to really be at their best. So it's, it's lovely to be here um, and thank you ever so much. Awesome, thanks Jamie. Uh, Marvin, do you want to, to connect? Yes, um, I'm Marvin Mansuero, and I'm currently teaching here in one of the international schools in Chile. And uh, I've been an international educator for more than uh, 15 years now. So I taught in different countries in Asia and at the same time in different countries here in South America. So I'm very passionate when it comes to teaching and making an impact as an educator to all the learners in different uh, countries. And, uh, you know, as an educator, we should be um, a light or some sort of a, a guiding force for our students to make a change or impact in our society. Thank you. Thank you very much, International um, School Network, for inviting me today. Brilliant. Great to have you on the call, Marvin. Deborah, do you want to go next? Yes, certainly. Um, I'm Zeba Clark. I'm deputy head at St. Paul's in Sao Paulo, so across the way from Jamie. Um, I've been here two years um, and I've had uh, a long career in teaching. I've been teaching over 30 years in state schools in the UK, in independent schools in uh, China, Belgium and now in Brazil. Um, and before that, I was a journalist. Uh, so I have a long standing interest and, and love of writing. Uh, I've written five novels, cheesy romances, five that have been published and, and a couple more that are on the on the on the stocks uh, and ready to be edited. Um, so for me, creative writing is really one of the key things that we as teachers can offer to our students. Um, and I also am very involved in digital strategy and looking at new tools uh, for students. So rather than saying uh, no chat GPT ever, uh, things like how do we incorporate the really exciting developments in IT into our practice? Fantastic. And Trevor. Hi, uh, good afternoon um, in the UK. I, I'm based in the UK. I, I feel a bit of an imposter amongst these three lovely people I'm with today. 
uh, because I'm currently not in uh, directly in education, but um, I was uh, like Zeba. I was uh, a teacher for many many years, a deputy head for over thirty years. I taught in international schools, independent schools, state schools, and I was also for my for my sins uh, an independent school inspector. Um, but now in the UK, I've uh, run for fifteen years now a company called Authors Abroad. Uh, and we work with about a thousand international schools all over the world in 70 countries. And the ethos and the aim of what we do is all about inspiring children to develop creativity, to love and uh, develop a lifelong love of reading and writing. And to do that, we send in authors, poets, storytellers, illustrators to set that spark going in children. And um, it's certainly an amazing opportunity to keep in touch with education and I'm very honoured to be invited today to speak to you all and I look forward to sharing our thoughts with everybody as, as we go forward so thank you to everyone particularly Max for organising the morning. Brilliant thanks Trevor awesome to have you guys on the call um, so yeah I, I think we're just going to jump straight into the first question actually um, and which is so why is creative writing um, such an important part of a child's or young adult's education? Who'd like to pick that one up? I'm, I'm going to start yeah, yeah, yeah. on that uh, right away. Um, I was scrolling through uh, Edu Twitter and I saw a really lovely cartoon uh, and uh, it, it was connected up with the idea of mental well-being and mental health and writing. And it was it was uh, an, a kind of muddled up ball of, of gunk, uh, could have been rubber bands, could have been wool, could have been something, but it was it was this great big messy mass um, and then, uh, and it said, my mind. <laughs> and then the next frame in the cartoon was a very neat and orderly set of, like, like a like an image of a page, a very simple black and white, really uh, moving. And it basically said, my mind after journaling. And for me, I think that's, that's the big thing, uh, particularly I have uh, pastoral duties and safeguarding responsibilities. And uh, we're looking at a real mental health crisis for particularly for teenagers. And I think if we can get our, the, the love and enthusiasm and creativity of, of those small kids in junior school and really preserve that into teenage years and get, keep them writing creatively, privately, uh, doesn't necessarily have to be shared. It's one of the biggest pathways to helping children build their resilience build their mental health uh, and build that ability to really know themselves. You'd like to jump in. Okay, um, for second, uh, second language uh, educators or for second language learners, I would like to say that uh, creative writing also develops students' communication skills. I think that's one thing that we need nowadays because you know, um, communication skill is an essential skill in today's world. And, you know, where effective communication is a key to success in both personal and professional life. And uh, writing creatively helps children and young adult learners to develop their communication skills by allowing them to express their thoughts and emotions in clear and concise way. You know, being an educator, we have to make sure that students develop their 21st century skills and communication skills is one of the key aspects in order for them to be more successful in their lives. Um, I'll, I'll jump in there if I may. I obviously agree with 
all of those comments, but uh, for me, creativity uh, from the very beginning is all about developing one's or the child's personality and independence and for them to develop their own um, way of thinking, critical thinking, and also very much their, their personality. That's what, that's what it's all about. And I think in teaching, we get bogged down with very prescriptive teaching methods. And I think to develop creativity, we have to take risks and we have to let children find their own way, not be worried about making mistakes. And one of the biggest things I hear from the teachers that we send into schools all the time is the one thing they do is praise, 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 and make mistakes. Don't worry about making mistakes. That's how we learn. And to become creative, you've got to let yourself be free. You must be free. Don't worry about what you put down on paper. Just get the, as we say, just get the juices flowing. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And I would um, I would like yeah. to add up. Sorry, go ahead, Jamie. Well, I was gonna say that I think everything here comes back to kind of things that everyone else in the room has said. I mean, you know, we've talked about future proofing and 21st century skills. We've talked about the kind of the heart of stoicism, um, as Eva mentioned, it know thyself. Um, and I think what Trevor said that's super, super important is this idea of mistakes are a valued learning kind of cycle we talk about iterative le learning cycles uh, in our workplace so that kind of feedback helps people to improve over time and i think everything here all comes back to comes back to the same point that the importance of creative writing it helps all people whether they be 5 15 or 50 improve their social emotional regulation it helps them to improve their critical thinking their empathy uh, Ziba mentioned at the beginning of the call that she's passionate about the integration of uh, technology and kind of the AI revolution that's on its way. I believe that knowing how to think critically and creatively simultaneously helps to future-proof um, future our, our students, our charges, because if you know how to solve problems creatively, then you're equipped with a series of skills that you can take forward into life. Um, and I think it's one of those things that is really important for understanding problems from multiple perspectives. Yeah. The end goal of the piece of creative writing is not to produce the best piece of creative writing. Our responsibility is not to create the Wordsworths and the Whitmans of the world. It's to help them to embed the skills that they need. Um, so one of the things that we do in our language and literature classes as a revision activity is we ask our students to turn the text that they've read into board games, that they, they need to write instructional writing, that they need to take the, the narrative of a text and kind of make it into a playable format. And it takes a real, real deep dive into understanding the mechanism, the structure, the plot, the characterization in order to transform it into something really different. So, you know, I think, we're all saying the same thing. And it's really, really kind of heartwarming to hear that we are saying the same thing. Yeah. And also one thing that I need to emphasize is that, you know, as you know, because I, I teach a lot of um, second language learners and creativity helps them to boost their confidence and self-esteem. 
you know, when children and young adults write creatively, they are expressively uh, expressing them express themselves in a unique and personal way. And you know, in this kind of manner, it boosts their confidence and self-esteem level. And because they are very proud of their creations, and they are also encouraged to share these creations to others. And uh, you know, every time I ask my students to 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 uh, boost their confidence and boost their creativity, I ask them to, okay, I would like you to look for a creative space. You know, creative space is very important for them in order for them to 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 uh, to uh, release their creativity. So finding a creative space is very important. Yeah. And it provides a creative outlet for them at the same time, because that's the only space that they can express themselves uniquely. And that is something that, you know, I would like them to do every time that they do creative writing as well. Right. Thanks, I'm, yeah. I, I'm obviously not a teacher and it's fascinating to hear you. You guys uh, speak from obviously way more experience, but I think to get the creativity, you've got to have creative teachers, uh, yeah. which, which is a, perhaps an obvious thing to say. Uh, but again, what comes through loud and clear from visiting schools all over the world in the UK, we're all scared of school failure. And that comes down a lot of the time to examinations. And we, I'm sure there's, it's going to be brought up a lot during this conversation. We, we've got to break the shackles away from being told to achieve this, achieve that. We, we've got to establish creativity as early as possible because of course a creative society a creative culture is key to a successful sort of world. And so therefore we've got to get this creativity and lack of fear instilled into children as soon as possible. Yeah. And considering how this practically relates to individual school settings, yeah, how, how do you encourage your students to engage with and find inspiration in a text that you have chosen or is prescribed through the curriculum um, that they may not have maybe initially been inspired by? So how... How do you sort of bring your own creative spark to, to the classroom to inspire your students in that way? And um, for me, that that one is all about um, you have to I think it's about play, be, not being afraid to show students in particular that you can play games with a text. You can cut it up. You can mess it around. You can reframe it or you can rewrite it. Uh, you can visualize it. There are all sorts of things uh, that you can do. So and one of my favorite exercises is to get children in pairs and to get one to read something aloud and then the other one to draw. Uh, so I've used that a lot um, with, with books like uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, uh, make, make the map of Maycomb and things like that. So using uh, children, to uh, getting them to try to use the words and interpret them visually. Uh, a lot of drama, role play, word games. I, I, I started out life as a an English and drama teacher. So I've always tried to get children up on their feet as much as possible um, and share, sharing and pairing um, and then giving them, a, I think for me as well, another key thing is giving them a target in terms of, you know, if you if you haven't written something in the end of this two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, it's not the end of the world, but let's see what you can do. So not making it high stakes, but but giving them kind of bursts of creativity, short bursts of creativity, and then trying to, as as they get a bit more confident, uh, to build that up and give them longer. I think for to me the the key to that is coming back to something Trevor said uh, about kind of 
the dangers of prescriptive teaching and prescriptive curriculum. And for me, the, the most important thing is to have highly collaborative teams of teachers yeah. whose work is done in an environment completely without ego, so that the best ideas are what rise up. And also in an environment where student voice, choice, and agency is an essential part of the curriculum. The, uh, so our IB students are currently doing their, their final exams right now. And my teaching partner and I, uh, we co-teach uh, the, the diploma course, uh, second year diploma course. And we had a proposal for an outline of texts. And rather than saying to those kids, this is what we will do, we said, well, here's our proposal. What do you think? What would you, what would you like to explore? What would you like to change? And yeah, it took a couple of lessons to take a deep dive into those texts, but they made the changes. And having made those changes comes ownership with those changes, comes a shifting of the point of responsibility. If we think in a class of 20, and if we're in a class of 20 and the teacher has chosen the text and said, here you go, students, this is what we will do. One, there's a really kind of direct power relationship there. But two, there's no sense of student voice and agency there. By taking those couple of lessons to slow things down and to bring their voices in, they take ownership of their work. They feel that their voices are valued because they are valued. And we made changes accordingly. And it's something that we try to embed from grade six, grade seven, grade eight upwards, that we want our students to be able to, to make these decisions for themselves. So improving their, their critical thinking, their evaluative skills. And that requires having brilliant creative teachers because yeah. it's very, very easy to teach to text. And in a world of chat GPT, of AI, it doesn't matter what metaphor X on page Y means. Mm -hmm. It matters your ability to, to navigate things for yourselves. And so when we're, when we're looking for staff to come on board, we're looking for really, really creative people whose primary goal is to work with other people not to deliver content. I think I think those that's a really important aspect, and I think the other thing as well is is um, the ability to be to to pivot and make the most of student response as well. Um, and I I've taught A level as well as uh, IB and and GCSE, and one of those uh, it's that thing that you know that you've got a situation where quite often. Uh, the the children themselves were not like a text, and um, and my most uh, one of my most difficult classes was teaching a lot of boys. I had a very boy heavy class uh, doing English lang and literature, and this one of the set texts was Carol Ann Duffy, who they hated. Uh, so it was like, how do you take that? So essentially, it was the world's wife. Uh, they knew they had to do it. They were kind of you know they they were they were just absolutely vehement and vitriolic about about her and about the uh, about the poems and things like that so i said okay so let's take time and really unpick how would you respond if you know if you were mr midas or you know whoever uh um the poet the big bad wolf in in uh, little red cap how would you respond 
as a man, as a masculine voice to these uh, accusations and and her attitude. And they wrote, they wrote amazing responses. And first of all, you know, they they did a lot of trashing. It took them a a while. And we spent, uh, I don't know, a good couple of weeks of time in and out of class, really playing around with ideas. Um, And and I think now as well, what I would be doing would be, I would say, okay, let's let's look at the response through chat GPT. Okay, let's put, let's, you know, so this is the poem. Uh, let's use chat GPT to say what would would what would one of the characters say? What would the dialogue be? And then taking then saying, OK, so that's chat, chat GPT. Now, can you do better? Uh, so it's setting them challenges and, and using their emotions and what they bring and, and showing that you're using that you're aware of student context and and really supporting them with it. And I think that gets them into the task. And once they're into the task, usually amazing things happen, as you say, Jamie. Can I build on Zebra's um, comment about ChatGPT? I think it's a really, really interesting tool if used appropriately for <laughs> promoting higher order critical thinking skills. Yeah. So uh, our grade eights um, recently, uh, they're halfway through a unit conceptually framed around the concept that words have power. And the first part of that unit was all about Animal Farm, and now they've moved into various different types of poetic texts. So exploring a concept from two very different perspectives. And I had a student who's very, very capable, um, who ended up finishing his work early. And the assessment that they were working on is that they needed to create a a newspaper project in small groups, exploring the events of Animal Farm from a specific particular bias. So they were either writing from the bias of the pigs, bias of the animals, bias of the human beings. And he'd finished early and he's like, I don't know what to do. So we gave ChatGPT the same prompt that he'd been given. And then it was a case of, okay, let's sit down. Let's work out what you did better than ChatGPT. Let's work out what ChatGPT did better than you what would you like to learn from it? And so immediately the high achiever who felt like they had nothing left to do had a lot left to do because his point of thinking had been moved to really high order critical thinking skills. Yeah. So I'm I'm with Seba that it's a really interesting opportunity to actually augment creativity rather than some sort of threat. Yeah. I agree, and it's that thing about uh, we have we have to teach them uh, that that uh, we're not afraid of it. I think as as the adult in the room, I think that's that's one of the key things there. Uh, we can't be afraid of this stuff. We've got to engage with it and look at how we. Uh, and it's exactly as you say, Jamie, that we we are trying to be uh, to get to get the creative teachers who are going to say who who aren't going to be phased, who are going to say, okay, I don't know how to work this yet but I'm going to give it a go. And that as well as modeling a really powerful kind of uh, attitude to learning that uh, when, when the teacher themselves are saying, you know, okay, you, you guys probably can use this better than me. What are, what are we going to, how are we going to use it? And, and working with students to really model the behavior that we want them to then adopt as learners. Yeah. And also I would like to, you know, these, these, methodologies that uh, we talk about, you know, using multimodal, multimodal uh, sort of uh, tools and applications. So sometimes, you know, teachers 
use them in the classroom to enhance creativity of the students. But sometimes, you know, I also feel the students that we are um, not giving them choices. So I would yeah. like them, you know, creativity is also important by giving our students or offering them choices. You know, if we, if we, if we provide students with some degree of choices, uh, for example, um, choosing the right text for them that they would like to read or the assignments that they would like to complete. So when students have some agency in their learning, so definitely they are more likely to feel invested and engaged in this process of creativity. And we need to make sure that students have choices, has this kind of agency of choosing which sort of text or materials that they have to choose. Because sometimes we just follow the curriculum and whatever the curriculum says that we need to teach is we teach it, like the text, the novels, you know, the, and, and everything related to curriculum. So I think offering choices and giving them agency is also enhancing their creativity. And this will boost their creative, uh, creative talents in writing as well. Yeah. Can I um, add something yeah. there? Marvin mentioned the, the idea of um, giving agency. Um, and I think a really powerful idea that I came across in the last six months to a year uh, was actually the way that we talk about agency. The agency actually is not something that we give. Agency functions on the deficit model. It's something we take away. Choice is something we provide. Choice is our knowledge and skills as inputs, and we want broad ranges of choice. Agency is, is actually reciprocal. It's about listening. Um, we can't ever give agency. We can only ever take it away. The, every individual in each of our classes has agency. Um, and actually part of our jobs, whether that's through creative writing, creative thinking, critical thinking, education, is to help students understand how to use their agency appropriately and effectively. Every time... Every time a student doesn't come to school, that's them expressing their agency. Every time a student misbehaves, that's cool. a student expressing their agency. So yeah, it was a, it was a framing thing um, that came to me and it's really revolutionized the way that I try to, to think about kind of kids, students, teenagers, not colleagues, people, not just in terms of in a classroom, but just in terms of everyday interactions. I think um, one of the things we found with um, when authors and poets go into schools, the one thing that turns the, the kids on, so to speak, or gives them that spark, is that the, the authors are a complete surprise to them, so charismatic and inspirational, but they're, they're, on, the, they're on the kids' wavelength. And they've got a role model they can identify with. And it's all, as you've all been said, about ownership, sharing ownership of what you're doing with the, with the students so they feel they're part of the learning process. And I think it's also very important for teachers to be seen to be vulnerable as well, uh, that they can make mistakes. Because once the, once, once the kids can see that a teacher's vulnerable, and he's, he or she is not scared to be seen, not to know everything and be perfect, uh, et cetera, but to even share their own work sometimes with the, with the children so the children can analyze what you've written and, 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 and share your work with them and your thoughts. And that link uh, of um, teacher-student, I think, is very, very important to the learning process and trust 
And I think if you can show the vulnerability and the kids can relate to that, I think um, it's a much better working environment. Slightly off track, but I think it's a, a similar theme to what we've been discussing. Yeah. I think that's absolutely, I, I would absolutely endorse that. Um, I, one of the, the funnest times that I had, uh, certainly as a head of English, was um, uh, I was on the Isle of Man and they had a literary festival uh, every September. And uh, a key part of it, and one of the reasons they got funding from the Isle of Man government, was that they basically ran schools visits. Um, and they would get over every year between three and, and six children's writers uh, um, uh, aimed at different children of different ages and the, the it was a really transformative exercise and one of the nice things was that very often they the, the the writers would come in and and kind of gently you know poke fun at the teachers and uh, you know slightly play devil's advocate or you know challenge the school vibe and that kind of thing and that actually was really productive particularly for students when they saw that their teachers quite often would not necessarily uh, run away from that, would, would engage in a bit of banter, would, uh, would accept being mocked, uh, and, then, uh, and then could kind of, um, again, model. Uh, and one of the things that we did very much was in, in the English department was say, when, you, when you've got your writer in the, in the room with your group, you do the work too. You, you be a student too. And that was a really powerful tool for a lot of our students. They, uh, and it improved the relationships between classes and the teachers a lot as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a really important thing. I think what both Trevor and Zebra have said here, I think a guiding principle is never ask people in your classroom to do things that you don't want to do yourselves. That no. we're, not, exactly. we're not laying around with Henry VIII um, do as I say and not as I do, that when we're designing assessments, it's really important that kind of creative, academic or otherwise, there's a, there's a genuine purpose. And I think this comes back to the heart of collaboration and part of good collaboration is that by bouncing ideas off of other people, you end up with better products. Yeah. Than why, I mean, why are we sitting here today? Why are we talking and sharing ideas? Because we all believe that talking to other professionals improves our professional practice. So when we design our, our assessments, um, we design them all so that students have access to uh, the assessment criteria. We use the solo taxonomy as a form of scaffolding so that they're very clear what they've done and how they've done and why they've done. Um, and they can self-evaluate. And the relationship between self-evaluation versus peer evaluation versus teacher evaluation gives them a really interesting perspective. Well, they thought this, I thought this, but my teacher thought that. Why? Um, and it gives them, I mean, we talk about the idea of sometimes not 100% not of students in every single class around the world is always super motivated to do something. And I think that's perfectly legitimate as well. We know that as employees, we're not always 100% motivated to do everything 100% of the time. But if you can give people legitimate reasons for doing things and you can say, well, this is why we're going to do this and hopefully it'll be fun along the way, they're more likely to want to do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think just I would like... Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I would like... I, I, I'm really glad that you mentioned about self-assessment and self-reflection because, you know, um, as a collaborative uh, 
body or a collaborative uh, member of the school community. So I think we need to allow time for reflection and self-evaluation for us you know, to, to assess what have we learned and what are we gonna relearn, okay? Same thing that we do with our students, you know, every time that they do um, uh, reading or they do choose a text, we have to make sure that they reflect on the way what they learn from the text and what they've read, what, is, what, what they've read about. And uh, I, I really like what Zeba mentioned earlier about you know, writing through journaling, small group discussions, and other reflective activities. These are very, very helpful activities that I use to my students to reflect and at the same time assess what they've learned in creative writing and reading. Yeah, it'd be great, great to just touch on some of that more practical and actionable tips that, that each of you have um, implemented in your own current school settings, but also, you know, previous school settings as well. And Trevor, it'd be great to hear a bit about um, authors abroad and some of the impact um, that, that, that your authors have uh, have made in schools around the world. Um, so, yeah, it'd be great to hear a bit about the how, how you inspire a creative spark more widely in your lessons. And have you found that this changes depending on maybe the background of the students, you know, the cultural background? Um uh, and and the region of the school as well, perhaps. So, um, yeah, bringing bringing that in, and especially you know, with a classroom with maybe six, seven, eight, nine nationalities within the class, um, how have you managed to weave a thread of creativity through that? Um, that'd be great to great to hear some of your thoughts. And, and like I said, Trevor, it'd be great to hear about some of the the impact that that your authors, poets, have had in in different international schools around the world too, based on 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 their expertise and well. It, it's it's a tricky one that one, um, and this may be a very simplistic way uh, to say it. But uh, like many of people um, we sharing this with today, I worked in international schools in fairly mixed backgrounds, uh, particularly probably Saudi Arabia, which, as you know, has some fairly strict cultural um, guidelines. And a couple of the schools I work with, probably similar to yours, 60, 60 different nationalities. Um, but what I found in all my time in teaching, this, I hope this doesn't sound pompous in any way, but I, I found kids were kids all over the world. They were, they were kids. And it didn't matter if they were from Korea or from Nigeria or from Brixton, wherever, the basic... Um, so the principles was was the same. So you had to be aware of, sort of cultural things, obviously, if you're working in the Middle East, for example. But in terms of the kids, um, I just think they're the same. And and the authors, when they're going around the all, all around the world, they, they they don't come back and say, "Oh, I had to change this. I had to do this." They just they just perhaps tweak it slightly, but sense of humor, perhaps a different thing in some different countries. But in general, no. Kids, kids are kids, and and you you look at children when they're babies, and they could be from anywhere in the world. They learn the same way, so I, I don't think we need to get too hung up on um, adapting our teaching methods um, to different uh, nationalities all over the world. And certainly, that's not been my experience um, personally, and also hearing back from authors who've been to just about everywhere in the world. That might be a bit simplistic, but. That's, that's how I feel. I think that's really true. Kids are kids. And, and, and you know, fundamentally, the human brain is geared to learn in, in a range of different ways, which, uh, you know, we learn different things in different ways 
because you know maths is different from history or whatever. Uh, so I think in in terms of the learning, that's true. I would say there's a big difference in context, and that was really brought home to me uh, quite a few years ago. Um, I I used to be an IB examiner for for many years, and one of my first years, it re- this really impacted me because it's it's like twenty years ago. So I was sitting there doing oral, listening to the uh, individual oral commentary as it was, um, and there and I and at that stage you got uh, this was pre uh you know mp3s and things like that so i got a whole load of cds and uh, the text everything was was hand uh and i and you got got a batch of schools so you got the sample from a, from one school um and then i would do like i don't know 10 or 10 or 15 schools so i had this school and it was increasingly clear that it was a school uh in a tropical place don't know uh, quite where i have i have my ideas about where it is but it was anonymized sufficiently but it was definitely tropical and the teacher had uh, either chosen or been been required to teach Robert Frost, the, the American poet. And these children were wrestling with the whole concept of cold, you know, of winter, of cold, of snow, ice, wind, a wind and, and, you know, bad weather. And, and the snowy road, you know, this was a really alien concept to them. And it and that began to inform really my consciousness of how to work on a text with children and making sure that they had really strong, if if it was something totally foreign to them, they had strong visual images of where that environment environment might be. That we we kind of tapped into prior knowledge about and and prior cons- misconceptions and stereotypes about environments, about how people are, things like that. And I think, uh, and that led as well to to kind of creative writing prompts. So I've used photographs um, and now on the internet, you can get huge banks of photographs, but I used to have an amazing uh, exhibition catalog from Magnum, the the photographer's agency. And that was such an amazing, uh, it was a gift because you would get children to choose uh, photographs we would get them then to uh, do tableau and then and then break out and, and create dialogues around the pictures, things like that. And the other thing is music, uh, both with with lyrics and without. Um, but so long as there's a narrative hook of some sort to give them a narrative hook and then to to get them set off. Uh, and I think the other thing that we that I, I really like Jamie's point about collaborating and working as a team. Because as soon as you start team teaching on areas like this, the ideas just come so thick and fast. Either if you're in a pair team teaching or in a group, uh, like a, a group of three or four in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a sort of in a department planning together and saying, oh, what would you do with this? This is the stimulus. What are we going to do with it? Um, and really giving children, building context for children, I think, is absolutely key to helping them unlock creativity. I think my add to what both Trevor and Zeba have said there is that concepts are the, the key to all of us. That yeah, Trevor's right, kids are kids. And Zebra is right, context is super important. If our curricula are designed conceptually, and you know, we use a lot of the UBD principles, understanding by design, we're starting with those essential questions, the enduring understandings, then a kid's point of access to them is entirely personal and personalized as, a, as an entry point. 
So I'll give you two kind of oppositional examples. Uh, our grade six curriculum in our English course here starts with an entire semester dedicated to the, the concept of talking about ourselves. Now, Trevor mentioned the idea that, yeah, we work in an international school context, that people from different countries, different environments, different language profiles, as Marvin has mentioned. That's in, an incredibly equitable way to start because what we're really asking is through different text types and stimuli, can you learn to express yourself? Can you learn to talk about who you are? Can you learn to talk about that with other people and write and express and present? And then the, the second semester moves into uh, a unit all framed around the world around us. So from a very introspective unit looking at about talking about oneself, they then need to look at sustainable development goals, uh, global issues, which we know scaffold towards the IB's assessment. So from the beginning of grade six, we're incorporating the sorts of knowledge, skills and competences that our diploma students are going to need in six, seven years time. And it works equally well at the other end. So we're just wrapping a unit on visual analysis with our um, year 11 students. So our first year diploma students, they spent... Uh, part of the semester looking at photography as a, as a text type for kind of nonfiction. And then they moved, they segued into advertising intentionally in that order because they could incorporate some of the knowledge that they took from photography into advertising. And so their, uh, their advertising key assessment is to produce a pitch for uh, the American TV show Shark Tank that um, they've all been given the same product, uh, they've all been given the same brief, and they need to kind of pitch that to some, some outside people. So the creativity comes in role-playing and modeling. Uh, and then what do we know um, that they need to be able to do? The advertising is one of the potential text types in a, in a paper one English language A examination. So there's kids who've played with the idea of advertising they followed it through over the course as a conceptual unit. And then when they have to do their, their first ever practice examination in order to build the timed writing skills, they're not going to be scared of that because they've been put in, a, in an environment, in a situation where it, it comes comfortably to them. Yeah. Marvin, any, any thoughts on that at all? Yeah, because um, our school is not an IB school, so definitely we have a curriculum that uh, fosters curiosity in a way that we encourage students to explore independently and discover whatever is knowledge out there. So in our, you know, because I believe as a creative teacher, we have to foster curiosity among our students because this can help students develop a love for learning, a love of learning and inspire them to explore their interests further. And for example, in South America, we know that reggaeton is a famous type of a famous genre of songs. So when it comes to poetry, we can inculcate or we can somehow connect the uh, studying poetry to reggaeton style types of poetry are made. And well, we know that kids are kids, but it is important to recognize the cultural differences that can impact teaching and learning among our kids. 
teachers may need to adapt their teaching strategies to the cultural context and being, you know, culture, culturally, uh, cultural ins uh, insensitive, you know. And uh, for example, I taught in Saudi Arabia and they love football a lot. So we talk about football the whole day and we talk about shawarma and different types of food, but we cannot talk about food related to, to, to tacos and everything because this will really ignite their curiosity. And, you know, teachers may, as a creative teacher, I, I will need to adapt to the, to the, to the cultural context and, and take into account the factors such as, you know, the language that they have, the, the, the social norms and the cultural values that they have in, 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 in their country. For example, here in Chile, they have different types of Spanish language. They have different kinds of, of uh, slangs that is very, very different when it comes to Colombia because I also work in Colombia. So there are some words that I cannot say here that I could mention, that I could not mention, and there are some words that I could mention. So it's a different thing. Mm -hmm. So these types of cultural uh, contexts help the students to understand and develop their curiosity about different languages. And at the same time, explore their creativity on how to write their own poetry or their, how to write their own stories. The approaches that I mentioned are, you know, I think effective because this will inspire the creative sparks in students, regardless of all cultural contexts, I guess. You made a really interesting point about inspiring a love for learning as well through through creative, uh, through cre creativity and, and inspiring creativity. Um, so have you have you found that in, in your individual school context that um, inspiring this this love for, for learning or creativity in students actually benefits their attainment across multiple subjects that, that they're studying in, at school? Um, I would I would say so. I mean, I think children, um, partly because children themselves, uh, and particularly I think adolescents, they they enter that stage where they're at peak self consciousness, and so they they begin to, and that's when they really collect together those kind of misapprehensions, like I can't do this, I can't do maths, or I can't do English, or whatever it is, and I think if you can tap into uh, that idea that that Marvin is talking about that you you can use levers and kind of wedges to open up their their conception that actually maybe I can do this and uh, and also minimizing uh, giving them the sense that they're in a protected environment where no one is going to laugh at them uh, I mean there's a really interesting piece of neurological research uh, by Sarah Jane Blakemore which says when you're a teenager, and in particular in that age between 13 and 16, that's kind of like the peak moment when you, whether it's true or not, you believe it's really strongly that everyone around you is laughing at you. Uh, and, and so in the classroom, we have to really break down those barriers. And once we do in one subject and provided we're sharing that information across subjects and you have a, a collaborative teaching body who are really saying, you know, what's going well with this particular person, uh, then you can really unlock and, and get take them to the next level in terms of their own achievement. And that's so rewarding. It's really lovely. It doesn't always work, but you know, when you see it working, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, working into kind of distinct disciplines in English and theory of knowledge, I say, yes, yes, you can. Um, I think one of the things that 
again, is essential is to have highly collaborative teams. Uh, you need people to be able to work with other people. Um, and I think that comes down to the structural organization of schools. The, if you value your schools and you value your school's employees as collaborators, there needs to be time for collaboration. If you make individuals working patterns about content delivery, then you will get content delivery in return. And I, I've seen it um, kind of manifest kind of the, the kind of creativity in, in other courses in theory of knowledge. So um, we were looking at the ideas of mis, dis and malinformation in um, our first year theory of knowledge class this year, uh, a few months ago now. And what we asked the students to do, the plan that we came up with was that we wanted them to make their own mis, dis or malinformation campaign. So they had to either choose to act as um, tobacco lobbyists or for those students that Marvin mentioned in Saudi Arabia that really liked sports, they could act as um, uh, FIFA shills and try and sell a future World Cup in a questionably ethical location. Or for those students who are more interested in um, fashion, we gave them a case study related to the fast fashion company Sheen and said, okay, greenwash on behalf of this company. And so they had to take the ideas that they've been kind of working with and then they had to apply them. And I think this is, we come back to the, the same fundamental truth, right? The people learn things for the best when they're asked to do things rather than asked to receive things. You know, we come back to why do we not use uh, Paulo Freire's banking model of education? These are not cups to fill up. They're human beings and human beings who are actively engaged in the world are you know, as Trevor said, they're going to solve their own problems. Our, our job, I, I genuinely believe this, our job is not to teach. I think the, the concept of teacher is a bit of a, a misnomer, that in a world where students have access to knowledge and information at the touch of their fingertips, our, our role is not to teach but to curate. Can we put things in front of them in such a way that, ideas come to the fore and they can work with them themselves. The, we're not here to tell people what to do. We're here to show people how they already know how to do things and kind of encourage them to be better versions of themselves. Absolutely, Marvin, Trev, any, any thoughts from Williams or a penultimate question actually? I totally agree to what Jamie said, that uh, we teachers are considered to be facilitators of learning. So, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, I think it's obsolete to think that teachers are the, the fountain of knowledge in the classroom. So we are considered to be the, 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 the facilitators or the guide or the coaches, the mentors. So we consider to be we are considered to be like that nowadays in a modern world. Well, I would just agree with all of that. Really, I think the key that's coming across is fantastic to hear from someone like myself, who's not directly in the classroom, but to see and hear you three speaking, it's very it's very enlightening and very encouraging because it's clear that you're all so passionate about what you do 
but you're also very, very aware that education is collaboration with yep. the students. And I think that's where perhaps education, when it does go wrong, is why it goes wrong, because teachers are telling rather than sharing. And sharing with anything, um, even with a six-month-old baby, is better than telling them, don't do that, don't do that. Show them and work with them. And that just is the same same going through until you're 90 years old. It's it's sharing. And I think it's all the all the message that all three of you guys have said is is fantastic to hear. Very, very exciting, really. So um, I don't think a lot of my education was, was like that. I was very <laughs> much I was very much exam, you must pass your eleven plus, you must pass this, you must pass that. And if you didn't, of course, you were a failure. If you, if you didn't go to a grammar school in my time, you were a failure. Um, but at the moment, I think collaboration, showing that you are a human being, not a teacher who's on a pedestal, you're vulnerable, you're like them, you're a role model, you're a positive influence in their lives. Um, those are all the things that we should be aiming to do as teachers. And um, it's, it's great to hear that you, you all think like that. And we, we touched on ChatGPT a little bit, um, obviously very, very popular topic at the moment, um, but are, are there any other particular um, tools for technology that, that you've each used in your classroom um, that have really helped you instill that inspiration within within students? Um, I, I mean, I have used uh, video quite a lot, uh, getting kids to make short films themselves, whether that's uh, in all sorts of different ways. Uh, one of the things I really like is um, uh, the Petra Kutcher, I think that's how you say it. It's when you have the 20 images and you've got 20 seconds per image and they can either have a voiceover or music, but they create, you know, the five minute presentation of, of 20 slides, 20 seconds per slide. Um, and sometimes it, it's, it, you know, it's, it's like the sonnet form. It's a really restricted form. Uh, and sometimes it really unleashes creativity. Uh, sometimes it stifles it. I think um, you have to you have to judge really carefully what the what the presentation should be about. And and again, back to a point that I think lots of people have made. Uh, well, both both Marvin and Jamie have made giving student autonomy, uh, giving them some choice, giving them uh, control and and a sense of ownership for that kind of exercise. As soon as you're using technology in a kind of creative way part of that lesson has to be you own this this is yours this is your presentation this is your video this is your podcast whatever it is so and again we uh, I love um, creative cloud adobe creative cloud uh, there are lots of ways of using that uh, in ways to show uh, that children can show their creativity because they pick it up much faster than we do um, I think so if you're looking at something like Photoshop or design, some of the design and layout audition to make a podcast um, and, the, and the editing suites, uh, students can use those really effectively and not in class time. I, I, I generally say, no, you're not doing this in class time. But I have collaborated with colleagues in um, computer science, IT and computer science. I've collaborated with colleagues in uh, other subjects so that we kind of do a joint project cross-disciplinary uh, and then we find the time in something like computer science or uh, even in tutorials 
to do the nitty gritty editing work and things like that. Brilliant. Jamie, Marvin, what about yourself? Technology? I'd, well, I'd right just, now. Sorry, go ahead, uh, Trevor. I, I, I think we touched on it a, a little while ago when we were chatting before we had our on-air conversation. One thing that came up and we, we found it very, very powerful uh, with uh, performance poets, visiting schools, hip-hop, uh, rap. Rappers in schools get amazing success. Um, and hip-hop music, as we know, is the most popular genre of music there is at the moment. And it's something that all the kids relate to. So for a rapper to go into school and to get something that is on their level and something they can engage with, I know it was mentioned before, I think Jamie was quite um, knowledgeable on how he was using rap. I can't remember what he said, but um, it's, it's one of our most successful um, styles of communication as a rapper going into school, particularly particularly um, engaging with boys. Um, we've had numerous occasions where we've had teachers come up to the, um, the poet at the end of the session and say, I can't believe that that boy actually wrote something down in that lesson. He hasn't written more than two lines in five years. He's been, he's been with us. And suddenly at the end, of, at the end of the session, boys are going up to the rappers very discreetly and saying, wow, that was cool. Uh, things like that. So again, it all comes back to being on their wavelength and, and uh, collaboration and engaging with something that's relevant to them. Um, you probably have far more knowledge of I, I do in the classroom, but that, that's a feedback that comes back to us time and time again, how the performance uh, poet, particularly rappers are very successful. Yeah, I, um, I think that was from a, a previous conversation. Um, we had there, Trevor, but to contextualize on, on this recording, uh, we've been, with our grade eights, Words Have Power is our, our current unit. And um, the segue from the literature, the animal farm, the novel into poetry was we started with uh, a song uh, called Black by a British rapper, a young man called Dave, who gave this phenomenal performance um, at the Brit Awards about two, three years ago which was a, a scathing kind of criticism of the, the government's response to um, structural inequality and to the tragedy, the highly preventable tragedy at Grenfell in London. And we started with this, and then we moved into um, Maya Angelou, and then we moved into um, Linton Quasi Johnson. And so the kids, we're looking at three different poems in three different time, places, and space contexts that were all our, our, our essential understanding was the idea that extended metaphors are a valuable way to talk about identity. And so by the end of it, I had students in my class coming up to me saying, oh, can we do this song by uh, Kendrick Lamar as well? Because there were, as Trevor mentioned, there's particularly boys that really respond and resonate to that so it can be but i think it has to come from it has to come from a, a position of authenticity that i am very happy integrating that into my classes because it's something that i am passionate about i love hip-hop music um i wouldn't try to force that upon a member of staff who's not familiar not au fait with it because i think it has to come from a place of authenticity 
the kids respond when it comes through in an, in an authentic manner. And to come back to come back to Max's question about tools, one of the ones that we've used a lot of um, in the past few years is really accelerated during the, the pandemic is a, an online uh, collaborative platform called uh, Miro, M-I-R-O. So it's really good for uh, kind of asynchronous, multi-person collaboration. So we will use it in our departments for uh, things like uh, Kanban frameworks, to-do lists, and we'll also use it in um, courses for kind of choose-yourself adventures. Um, so that's really nice. And then something I just came across um, this morning, actually, um, I'll put it in the chat here, uh, but I'll also mention it for, for the people listening to this recording. So a website come up called um, Digital Samaritan, which is an aggregator of various different um, AI tools that are currently available. So obviously, ChatGPT has kind of become a bit of a poster boy for um, artificial intelligence and artificial intelligence in its relationship to education. But actually, I think knowing that knowing how to use good tools means knowing what tools are available. And so I really like this website because it gives you um, a rundown of different ones that are available and kind of encourages people to encourages people to play with it. And what have we all said here that play is the heart of creativity. So that's my add. That's brilliant, Jamie. We'll also add that link in the at the bottom for people to, to click on and have a look because that could be super useful for, for listeners. Well, in my classroom right now, we have a project that they need to create a website. So we're using uh, Google Sites. So because that is the platform that we have been using ever since. So we're using Google Classroom. So in my case, I post a question, I ask a question to my students and they do a little bit of short answer question, uh, answer, short answers in quick write activity. And uh, well, right now in my eighth graders, we are teaching the, the process of writing. So we are doing the writing process right now and we are focusing on the different steps of the uh, writing process. So last step of the process is publishing. So we will be creating a website for them that they will be publishing their work. And we're also focusing on the five paragraph essay. <laughs> a little bit, you know, tasky, but you know, when it comes to revising and editing, so it's a lot of work. We do a lot of collaboration with that when it comes to students. We also um, ask our students to do a mentor-mentee activity. You know, this kind of process is very helpful when it comes to students uh, getting feedback and how to, uh, to, to give feedback and improve their own writing. So, well, yeah, um, we also would like our students to collaborate with the discussions when it comes to giving feedback to one another. And I guess um, the, the, the only thing that we would like to make sure that students use in, in um, using technology or other applications, it must be not complicated for them to understand and to, you know, to at least uh, get to know the, 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 the website or the application. So it must be user-friendly because I've been teaching middle school for more, for, you know, for, for six months now, and I would like my students to understand it better. And I think Google applications and Google platform is, you know, is a way uh, user-friendly for them. Brilliant. 
Wonderful. And we've got a bit over the time, but very quickly, my final question, um, you know, ba based on your experiences, what, what's the number one resource that um, you think every teacher should have in their arsenal to spark creativity um, when teaching literature and language? And for me, um, I think I, I, I like a basic whiteboard and a good projector. Uh, and I think that pretty much you, you can get a really good lesson, really stimulating activities, really stimulating discussion even if it's just as simple as, as I say, a, a whiteboard and, and we'll all, we'll, you know, nowadays we're all in class with our laptops. So it's basically your laptop projector whiteboard combo. I'm not particularly fussed about it being an interactive whiteboard. Um, and I think that uh, the, the thing that we is, is also easy to forget is, you know, really good source material. Um, I've had lessons with students which are, you know, here's a poem on a piece of paper and the good old fashioned technology still works as well. Yeah, I agree with that Zeba because I always use projector in my class, especially if I am, you know, um, uh, showing them some slides when it comes to their presentations. And uh, a, a digital access to online library is also important, you know, because sometimes students like to choose their own books. So I would like them to have access to our digital library as well in the classroom. So I make sure that they uh, have iPad or tablet or the electronic devices available in the classroom. I don't allow them to use cell phones because sometimes cell phones are distract, you know, it's a source of distraction. So as much as possible, I want them to use a bigger uh, screen that they can read. Totally agree with the cell phones. The, the 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 less we use them in class, I think the better. Um, so in terms of resources, probably going to be no surprise that I would say that the number one resource to spark creativity is other teachers and time. The, fundamentally, if you want people to be creative, you need to give them time to be creative. Um, and there's some really interesting research into the concept of creative idleness, that actually having thinking time allows people to have kind of time to think. Um, if I was to choose a physical or digital resource, um, I've been really lucky to work with um, our director of learning, Anna Gogas, for the last two years. And one of the things that she's implemented here has been the use of the Harvard Project Zero thinking routines. So coming back to the ideas of metacognition, critical thinking, asking the shift to be from not just creation, but creation plus evaluation, analysis plus critical self-reflection, the thinking routines are a great resource to be able to look at in terms of finding new things. And I think since Marvin and, and Zeba talked about cell phones. Um, I'm actually gonna say the opposite. Um, I don't think that the there should be an anti-cell phone kind of policy in classrooms. Now, the reason being is the twofold. Firstly, any student who wants to be on social media will be on social media on their computer instead of on their phone anyway. So the other than kids who play online games, which is quite obvious to spot because of the thumbs, they can do all of the social media stuff on a computer anyway. Um, I think the other thing is that, you know, it's not actually teaching them a lifelong skill 
by removing something. By saying, I am taking this away, what the student learns is that this will always be taken away. They never actually learn the coping strategies, the coping mechanisms to be able to live with something in their pocket. So actually what we will do is rather than take them away explicitly, kind of, we do it in kind of, in kind of repeat circumstances, but we'll say, okay, put your phone upside down on the table. We don't want to take it away. We don't want to take it off you because there's a very strong attachment sense here, but you need to learn how to use it appropriately. You need to learn when is a good time to use it and when is not a good time. And, you know, the it takes a long time. It takes a very, very long time, and it's a it's a very patient process that we have to model. But fundamentally, we know that cell phones will not go anywhere. And therefore, if we're equipping with the skills to learn how they can be kind of productive people during their days and have their cell phones with them, we've equipped them with a life skill that they wouldn't have if they go to university and then someone's always told them, I will take it away from you. Because no one's taking it away when they go to university or to college. Uh, that's interesting because where um, we have been working with a company called Digital Awareness uh, and, a, and doing quite a bit of research into this. Um, and I think I, I, I think that there is a shift to saying that they've got their devices, as you say, um, you can create firewalls and you can, you, there are technical ways in which to block the social media uh, within your school site, for example. But increasingly, um, I've been hearing from schools which are going no mobiles, not no tech, just no mobiles, and the results being about the safety of the people, uh, an increased sense of safety and, in and an increased sense of community within a school where the mobiles are not accessible, where either it's a gate-to-gate -gate no use or... Um, some variant on that um so i'm i'm really interested um you know i think in some respects my jury is out and i absolutely take on board what you say jamie about we need to teach them how to use them responsibly certainly before they go to university but um there's a, there's i think we're still in a in a in a period where we don't fully understand uh the consequences of the social media itself um, and also we don't necessarily understand the teenage brain and its plasticity and, and vulnerability uh, to things like addiction and, and in particular mobile phone addiction. There's some really interesting work being done on this in uh, Florida by a, a group of um, psychologists there. Um, and again, back in the UK as well, uh, I've come across all sorts of different, different stances on this. And as I say, I, I don't think there's a right answer. But it's interesting that you're saying that, Jamie, and at the same time, there's a real move towards going no mobile in school in quite a few uh, jurisdictions and, and different countries uh, and different education. Really I think the, the fundamental difference is that that's a, that's a top-down senior leadership perspective rather than a classroom teacher perspective. That if a school implements a policy, that's one thing. Whereas um, what one does in a classroom is slightly different. Um, and, you know, we've talked about, you know, both have their, their values and their merits. Um, and I would quite happily work in a, in a no mobile school 
uh, if that was an implemented policy. Um, but we talked about the idea of trust. Um, and I think there is definitely kind of the research right does point out kind of addiction things. But by saying, okay, here's your here's your uh, pacifier, here's your dummy, and it's close to you, I'm keeping the trust within the room rather than kind of putting them in an environment where they don't kind of generate trust. So I think both are, are fantastic. Uh, it's just a, a case of whether something is top down or bottom up. Yeah, um, Jamie, I totally agree with you when it comes to making sure that students use cell phone responsibly. Yes, in our school, in, in the, the, the department that I'm teaching right now, which is middle school, so as much as possible, you know, there is some sort of age construct. Uh, we can, we um, tend to um, make our students be responsible in using gadgets, but we also need to consider that uh, students in middle school, for example, are not amenable when it comes to using social media because remember that social media is is uh, age restricted. So that's something also that we need to consider. Well, aside from the fact that we are using uh, gadgets in, in digital learning and reading, because we are also worried about the eyes of our students if they use their cell phones to read. So as much as possible, we would like them to bring iPad or tablet because it's, it has a bigger screen and reading something on their cell phone somehow you know, affects their eyesight. So that's why we tend to not to let them use their cell phones while they are reading. But in case, but in other way, they, they have to use uh, bigger screen devices. I'm sorry for that. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks, Marvin. I know we've run out a bit of time here, um, but very quickly, Trevor, is there one particular um, resource from Authors Abroad that you found particularly um, useful from feedback from schools um, that we can maybe direct, direct listeners to as well? Um, I think one of the things in, in general in education is a sense of humor. Um, I think if there's, if there's humor in the classroom, then the success, if the children enjoy uh, being in a classroom where there's humor and there's acceptance, as we've said all along, of making mistakes, there's the acceptance of collaboration with the teacher, respect, those are the key resources in the classroom. Um, the other things are obviously taken for granted in a way, but those personal things are the key to making teaching successful. Brilliant. Thank you so much, everybody. I know, we, like I said, we've run out of a bit of time here, but um, yeah, it was really, really interesting discussion. So I thought I'd let it, I'd let it run. And uh, yeah, thank you for sharing all your insights and um, some super interesting practical and actual insights there that I'm sure um, people can take away and, and uh, adopt into their own classroom environment. So yeah, thank you once again for your time. Uh, and hopefully we'll do a, a part two session soon.